working our way through through Second Peter. Uh, this is the 17th week. You'd think we'd be past chapter 3, but we're not. Second Peter 3, verses 10 to 13. We started these verses two weeks ago. Last Sunday we had our family service. We'll do another one of those we'll, a little later on. 2 Peter chapter 3, 10 to 13, the same text as two weeks ago, and we'll finish up some points. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away, pass away with a roar. So there's a, there's a visual and there's an, an audible kind of thing going on there. The heavenly bodies will be he says, burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Different verb there. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he says it again. So, so the application is, what sort of people ought you to be? Think of Peter talking to you. Don. What kind of person should you be? How should you be living your life? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God. Because the heavens will be set on fire. This is the second time he said that. And dissolved again. Heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But there's, there's, a, there's another side to this. But according to his promise, we are waiting for... So it's not just destruction. We're waiting for new heavens, new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. This is the most important thing we'll do this week looking into your word. Thank you for the times when we can lift our voices and our hearts to you in praise and worship. We read that psalm, all the elements of nature, trees and plants and birds, everything lifting praise to you. Of course, the, fu the fundamental difference is not one of them praises a redeemer the way we do. We who have sinned and fallen in a way that no tree ever did. We've received manifold grace. Our silent lips are a sin. And so be glorified in our praise and be glorified in our hearts and minds now as we look into your word. Speak to your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, under our second point, we started examining three directives in this text. Three directives regarding the coming day of the Lord. We are told we must be waiting for it. We looked at that two weeks ago. Waiting for it. We're told we're to prepare for it. And then, strangely, we're actually told to hasten it, whatever that means. So we're going to look at those last two 
this morning. Preparing and hastening the day of the Lord. Preparing comes in verse 11 and verse 14 when you look at what Peter says about it. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without, without spot or blemish. And then those words end at peace. When Peter says we're supposed to be preparing for the day of the Lord, he, he, means, there's, he means something more than a lot of people think right away. He means something more than just being better people. We've got to be nicer because Jesus is coming back. I used to swear and I shouldn't because Jesus is coming back. I used to cheat on my income tax. I better cut that out because, well, Jesus is coming back. I wasn't a very good dad. I wasn't a very good husband. I should be better, well, because Jesus is coming back. Good, good for you, but that's not really the heart of this text. He's not just talking about morality. He's not just talking about being kinder or nicer or a bit more honest. I think atheists desire to be better people. Nicer, kinder people, as a rule. No, Peter's talking about behavior that is behavior that is changed, but the change is prompted by a longing for the return of Jesus. Being ready when the master comes. So, so the kind of changes he's talking about in my life, the things I will do, he's talking about righteousness that is rooted in and motivated by the cross of Jesus Christ. This is confusing to a lot of Christians because they look at Mr. X over here and he's just as nice a person, just as generous, just as kind, just as faithful, just as true to his word as this Christian. So therefore, God must just accept us all. And they have a hard time thinking, why, why would God not accept this person just like he would this person? He's just as nice a person. It's hard for, hard for people to sort that out until... They start looking at what Peter is talking about. It's always the thrust of New Testament holiness. It's not just better behavior. Christianity is different from mere morality in, in two important aspects. Morality is, is uh, mankind's attempt at self-betterment. And that has value. It has value for making life on this earth more peaceable, safer. But Christian righteousness is, is supposed to be rooted in another world altogether. It, it affects this world. But it's miles removed from mere moral reform or some kind of compassionate political agenda, whatever, whatever you know, wherever you park on that line. You have to catch Peter's radical heart here. He's, he's describing the outward actions of life as they get formed and motivated by anticipation. Rather than mere religious duty or personal reform. Righteousness driven by anticipation. Let me... Let me try and flesh that out a little bit. Think of the efforts put into preparations for a wedding. 
flowers, a room rented, decorated. Apparently it's important, flowers for a table, speeches planned, dresses picked out, tuxes rented. All the things that go into it. But, but none of those activities is rooted in itself. It's all, it's all work of anticipation. There's a wedding coming. None of the work, none of the expense has any meaning apart from the actual event. Imagine, you, you see somebody and they're down there at the, the King Eddie down in Toronto and they've got this big room rented and they're down there and you see them. They're decorating tables and they're putting all sorts of stuff up and you go up to them and you go, oh, when's the wedding? And they go, wedding? What, what? No, no wedding. What are you doing? We, we just like decorating tables and we... We got this room because it just looks so nice. We're just, we're just going to set it all up and we're going to get some music. We might get a string quartet over here in the corner. And anybody coming? No, we just, we really like doing all this stuff. And you just question the sanity of someone like that. Even with the wedding, you question the sanity of a lot of that stuff. Christian righteousness, pre preparation is what we're talking about here. It's, it's birthed in, in, in two things. It's birthed in a personal love for Jesus that stems from grace received in redemption. Truly Christian behavior is rooted in the cross and the second coming. It thrives looking back in thoughtful reliance to Calvary, and looking forward in loving anticipation for the day of the Lord. And I'm at peace about that. I'm not afraid of it. Christian righteousness looks forward to the day of the Lord in preparation for blessing, the smile and reward of Jesus. It's based on another kingdom, Christian righteousness. It works hard here on earth, but it does so with an eye to that day of the Lord. So he's talking about a righteousness that's the result of preparing for the day of the Lord. And, and, and the, the, the preparation Peter has in mind, it centers in two areas. One has to do with our affections, and the other has to do with our actions. God never measures my deeds apart from my motives, ever. I think that's an important principle. God never measures my deeds, deeds matter, but he never measures my deeds apart from my motives. So first Peter looks at, Peter looks at the area of affections, though you have to look carefully for it in the text. Look at 10 to 12 of chapter 3. We read these. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it. Isn't this interesting? We just got done talking about how God never measures our deeds just by deeds alone, but by the motives. 
And so the works that are done on it will be, they're not dissolved, they're exposed. What, what was the root of those actions? Do you see the same principle there? That's what he's talking about. And so, well, I don't have time to do this. J Jesus says pe people will come up to him on the last day and go, Lord, Lord. That's the right term, isn't it? Isn't that what we call him? And in your name, we did this and this and that and that. And there's this world of difference between the way they feel about Jesus and the way Jesus feels about them. And Jesus says, well, I didn't know you. Well, what about all those works? See, and that, that's what we're talking about here. The works be exposed. Comma, now we'll get back to what I was talking about. 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Day of the Lord, day of God, same thing. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And, and you just can't miss. Here's how affections tie in now. You, you, you just can't miss the repetition of that single idea. He repeats it four times of the material, the, the things of this world, this world, the things of the world, the things we sense with our five senses, the, these things being burned up, he says it three times, dissolved, he says it twice. He's dealing with the things we love, isn't he? Be, be careful where you set your heart. That's why this, this, this touches on affections, even though the word affections isn't in the text. All these things, they're going to go. You, you, can't be, you can't be preparing for the day of the Lord that day when all the material things of earth are going to be burned up. You can't, you can't do that and live for material things at the same time. You can't set your heart there. You can't set your affections there if you're preparing for the day of the Lord. That's the point. You either prepare for the day of the Lord or you fall more deeply in love with the things of this earth. But you can't do both. It makes no sense to anchor your destiny to stuff that's going to, <laughs> twice, just dissolve. Dissolve. I don't know about you. I find it humbling, really humbling to to let that text just speak to me for itself. Don't put some weird interpretive grid on it. Just let it speak. He, he just, he talks about a danger I don't usually feel. But that's only because my heart, my heart doesn't approach this subject from neutral. And yours doesn't either. Unless I'm incredibly watchful, the center of my affections will shift from things eternal to things temporal. Peter says, I need to fix that if I'm going to prepare for the day of the Lord. All right, I said affections and actions. Peter talks about preparing with our actions. He does it in verses 13 and 14. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and be at peace. So the text calls me to remember something that seems, it doesn't seem as real to me as it should. There's a day coming. There's a day coming when only righteousness will endure. Apparently, Peter thinks, I need to remember that. There is, there is more coming than just the destruction of this present order of things. There is also this beautiful promise of the creation of a new heaven and new earth. And, and Peter says we have to be preparing for that realm. And these new creations, new heaven, new earth, will be very different from this present world. Primarily in this way. You can dwell in this present world as an unrighteous person with unrighteous actions and unrighteous desires. You can get along for a limited time at least while clinging to sin and disobedience to God and all sorts of false idols. There's no immediate threat. There's no immediate pressure become holy, to be inwardly changed. You're free to do as you please, and God's probably not going to turn you into a pillar of salt. You can survive. At times, you can thrive. And then, and, and then Peter says, but this is all going to change. Are, are you getting ready for that? This will all change with the coming of the day of the Lord, or the day of God. Unrighteousness of any kind, it simply won't be allowed to enter the new heavens and the new earth. And, and Peter wants Christians to have their hearts so shifted in affection right now that they're perfectly at peace with that future reality. That's the last part of verse 14, and at peace. Think about it. My, my actions in this world right now, my affections in this world right now are to so have shifted that I'm already totally untroubled by this transfer of the treasures of my heart. I'm already making that transition joyfully right now. That's what Peter's talking about. When the Apostle John receives his vision of the new heavens and the new earth, he went through the whole book of Revelation. He, he's really careful to sort of mark the boundaries of what is, what is inside the kingdom of God and what is outside. The Bible, the Bible seems more comfortable than we are with these rather absolute divisions. I was looking at these words in Revelation 22. Revelation 22, 10 to 15 and he said to me, this is the angel, speaking to John. He's on the island of Patmos. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And now you get this, the same thing Peter's talking about. Now there's unrighteousness, then there won't be any allowed. So the angel says to John, verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil. You don't have to change right now. Not if you don't want to. And the filthy still be filthy. 
The righteous still do right. The holy still be holy. Behold, I'm, I'm coming soon and bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Okay, but here, now notice. Outside, the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Inside, outside. He's just outside. Outside. So Peter says we have to be waiting for the day of the Lord. Then he says we have to be preparing for the day of the Lord. Prepare our affections by learning to love things eternal, more than temporal things. And prepare our lives by holiness, because nothing unrighteous will be allowed. So I think you can, you can kind of see the logic in, in Peter's argument. How can I say I'm preparing for the day of the Lord? Preparing for the day when everything unrighteous will be forever shut out of the kingdom that Jesus will be bringing in. How can I say I'm preparing for it if, if I cling to rebellion and idols in my heart? How can I say I'm preparing my life for that kingdom where only holiness can enter if I'm somehow stubbornly resisting his will? The last thing he says, we must all hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. I get that in verse 12. Waiting for and hastening. Is that possible? Seriously. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which, that's because of which, that which is the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. These are truly amazing words. We already looked in chapter 3, verse 9, the way Father God in his patience, he seems to delay his coming, not wanting any to perish, but to all to come to repentance. Let me ask again, how many people does God want to come to repentance? Are there any people he just, they're out, they can't repent? No, I want them all to come to repentance. So just as though there was that delay in 9, in this text it's different. We're actually said that we can hasten it. Maybe we shouldn't be as surprised because Jesus had the same concept. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And there's the time word. Then the end will come. After, after this, then they'll come that. Then the end will come. So God is waiting for the unreached nations of the world to have the gospel preached to them. That's what will usher in the day of the Lord. Jesus says it. Peter says it. How we need to hear just that fresh voice of the Lord guarding 
my heart and yours from crucial mistakes. Get the gospel to the unreached people groups of this world. There are four and a half billion unreached people who have yet to have a really meaningful exposure to the gospel. Do you see how these closing exhortations fit together? So in preparing for the day of the Lord, there's a clustering of ideas and they all fit together. In preparing for the day of the Lord, my affections must be loosed from the temporal things of this world. Why does he start there? Well, because it's really expensive to get the gospel out to the world. Selfish Christians aren't going to get it done. Christians that aren't thinking of the day of the Lord, changing their affections, they aren't going to get it done. I know we usually come to the Bible for comfort or direction. We don't usually come to have our worldview kind of reassembled. But that's, that's what Peter's doing here. Don, your affections have to be transformed now for this gospel to reach the lost and hasten the day of the Lord. If I'm a disciple preparing for the day of the Lord, I can't let, I can't let a, a $150,000 income, I can't let that dictate a $150,000 lifestyle. If I'm a disciple preparing for the day of the Lord, I am called by Jesus to live beneath my means because there's a world to be reached. I, I can't, I can't, I don't, I don't have to buy a Ferrari. I was trying to think of a car that I'm sure no one in the church has. <laughs> and if you happen to have one, I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you. As I follow Jesus and think of four billion people that are going to hell, I can't buy a Ferrari just because I can afford one. I'm called to live beneath my means because there's so much to get done. D does everybody see what I'm saying? And, it, and it, I know, this, I'm like you, this bumps into us a little bit. Hastening the day of the Lord. Are your affections there? Are they rooted there? Are you just drawn with joy toward that every time your feet hit the floor when you get out of bed. The day of the Lord. Can't wait. Got to reach the world. That's my joy. Imagine. Imagine you're uh, maybe a, a Canadian. Just pretend. I don't mean that. I mean uh, a Canadian on some kind of specific government assignment, an attache of some kind, some rule. You're called on assignment. You're going to be in France for six months. You're working. You're renting a room. You know that you can't bring anything whatsoever with you on the plane when you fly home. All you can do is Earn your money while you're on your assignment. Have it deposited into your bank account back in Canada. Now, here's my question. 
would you, would you, would you take your one-room apartment for those six months and would you, would you collect the most expensive paintings and Persian rugs and priceless antiques, knowing that you had to leave them all in six months? Or would you just live on whatever funds were absolutely essential so you could deposit all your earnings in the bank back in Canada where your home is? I think you see what I'm getting at. Every single day, every single 24 hours, the person whose treasure is here on earth, every day that person is moving away from his treasure. And every day the person is laying up treasure in heaven, every 24 hours that person is moving toward his treasure. Which would you rather be? Moving away from your treasure? We're moving toward it. Hasten the day of the Lord. Let's live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, wow. There's got to be something that inspires this kind of hope in you. You're just different. Everything you do, just different. What, do you, what are you looking forward to? And then you got a door. Then you got a door. 